Hi, everybody. It's Michelangelo Caruso. This is another Talk to Me podcast episode. Don't forget you can watch video versions of this on the YouTube channel, and you can listen, of course, on most platforms, including Podbean. My guest today is Jim Ellison, an old friend of mine from my long time of living in Royal Oak. How are you, Jim? I am great, Michael. It's good to see you. Jim was mayor of Royal Oak. If I remember right, you were you were undefeated in your bid for mayor each time you ran. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. How many times? Uh, uh, five times from, let's see, uh, five terms. I can't remember now, but uh, yeah, I've never, I've never lost an election, knock on wood, even in my, my three races for the house, I haven't lost, but uh, that's that's just, a, no, I had to be seven times. I did, I did seven terms as mayor. So it's a, you know, it's a nice record to have. Of course, four of those, four of those years, I was never even challenged. I was unopposed. So well, I think that says something. I, I remember you being, and this is probably not accurate, but I remember you being an easy mayor, easy in that it never seemed like you were trying very hard and maybe that's part of the game. I'm sure there were some scuffles behind the scenes, but you seemed to run a tight ship. The council. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you keep the drama behind the scenes and, there, and there's always drama. And, uh, and sometimes there's gonna be drama at the table and you can deal with it, uh, you know, uh, as fanatical or you can deal with it calmly i always try to deal as much calmly as i could try to try to deal with the issues as they come up but that didn't always happen and so we we dealt with those but but uh, you know i was a hometown boy i knew this city and i know this city like the back of my hand and i and i was pretty sure i knew where i wanted to go and i was resistant to anybody who tried to make it something it wasn't Fortunately, we had a lot of good people in elected positions and appointed positions that, that shared the goal. And, and uh, you know, I'm very proud of where Roy Loke is right now. Yeah, you yeah, should be. A lot of credit for that. Yeah. Great city. Um, you used a term in a conversation we had a while back called the hard gavel. Do you remember using that with me? Was your way of expression? Yeah, and it, it's the, the, the gavel has got to be used properly. And, and there's occasionally a time where someone gets out of control and you've got to, you know, you've got to control that meeting with that gavel. And, you know, the louder it goes, the more attention you get. But I didn't have to use it that often, but occasionally I'd have to hammer down people if they're, uh, you know, getting out of line. That's, that's the only control you really have up there as a leader of a meeting. You got a little hammer. <laughs> yeah. And I never heard those two words together before, hard and gavel. I just thought a gavel was a gavel. But, but you're right, you know, if you hit it extra firm and it's not just the contact of the wood on wood, it's the, it's the, it's the, the yeah. eyes, it's the tongue. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, and it's all of that. And, it, and it's all, how often do you, do you use the gavel? I mean, if you've got someone like myself that I didn't use the gavel that much, but when I did, it was a change in direction and people knew something was happening. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, the, the, the gavel's there for, uh, for, to start the meeting and close the meeting and control the meeting during the meeting, so. And you said a big trigger for this, the, the gavel was um, repetition. If somebody had the floor and they started to repeat, you knew you weren't getting any new information. It, you're, it was time to move on. And, and you were the traffic cop for that conversation. Yeah, it, it, exactly. That's, I mean, that's the rule of any leader of any meeting is to, to be productive. And, and I always tried to give uh, you know, my, my colleagues on the commission, anybody else speaking, the, the latitude to get their idea across. But I listened closely. And when I started hearing them saying the same thing over again, we're not getting any new information. It's time for someone else to talk. And yeah, I would, I would get them, I would say, you know, you're repeating yourself. Let's wrap it up and just move on. So I need to carry a gavel with me every day just to keep people from repeating themselves. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, everybody likes to everybody likes to offer their input, but most people come in and they've got maybe two or three points of, uh, of that they want to make, but two or three points doesn't last as long as they've got to speak. And we used to give people at the city commission five minutes to speak. And people felt they had to use up that whole five minutes, even when they only had two minutes worth of, of stuff to say. And so they would continue to drag on. And that's where it was to be the, you know, the, the most, most problem is when they were just felt like they were entitled to their five minutes, which they were, but don't waste our time by repeating something you've already said in this same talk. So well, there's a couple of things going on here. One is, uh, I don't know if it's selfishness so much as it is ownership. You know, if you gave me five minutes, then I'm going to use all five minutes. There's a bit of that. I see it a lot in the speaking business that people have time for a 20 minute presentation. Damn, they're going to use all 20 minutes, whether they need it or not. It's so refreshing when people are succinct and end early and you're like, what, what just happened? This guy yeah. got it all done. Yeah, that was, that was always, especially during public comment, it was always deeply appreciated by someone who came in, they had a point to make, they made their point and they said, I'm done. Thank you very much. Yeah. Lovely. You left the mayorship to, for higher office, some would say. You became a, a member of the House of Representatives, a, a congressman from the 26th district. You've mentioned that you ran three times now and, and successfully. Um, one of 435 representatives. So oh, with, no, now, you're getting, now, now, you're, now you're putting me in Washington, D.C. I'm, I'm not there. Oh, it's, it's, it's a mission. It's the Michigan House of Representatives. Thank you. Thank you. 100, 110 of us, and uh, uh, each each representative is uh, the way the state is divided into districts. Is we all have somewhere between um, eighty and ninety five thousand constituents in our district. So, you know, in in my case, my district is the cities of Royal Oak and Madison Heights, which the two combined uh, uh, population is about eighty eighty three thousand something like that. But we've got uh, districts up in the Upper Peninsula, for example, to, to achieve that 80 to 85,000, they've got to go uh, six different counties and, and uh, you know, and they've got to be able to cover that whole district. It's a much tougher job doing that than, than it is. I, you know, I'm pretty lucky that my district is, is in my backyard and it's very confined. But, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, you, you go from a situation, I used to call it, where I was, you know, and as mayor of Royal Oak, I was a big fish in a little pond. Yeah. Let's go back to redistricting in a minute because that's a hot button too for yeah redistricting is to be very important here in the, in the next, um, uh, next couple but of years. first my faux pas I think a lot of people get confused I know I still do about no. the difference between there are there are United States senators and state senators as well correct yeah I mean it's, there are uh, state senators there's 38 state senators uh, in in the Michigan State Senate and there's two United States senators in, in Congress. Uh, you know, the work, done in, the work done in Washington, D.C. is Congress. The work done in Michigan is the legislature. Okay. And so we consider ourselves members of the legislature. Some of us are representatives in the House, House representatives, and the other are state senators. So the burning question is, is it better to be a, uh, in the state or in, the, in, the, in D.C.? You know, it was funny. We were... Um, I, I wouldn't want to go work in DC. That's, that's, that's you know, I'm, I'm a homeboy. I, I, you know, you, you talk about being a, you know, a little, little fish in a big pond. I mean, you're a minnow and something like that, unless you've got power and influence and, 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 uh, and wealth, unfortunately, and, uh, and the audience, you, you're, you're just another, you know, you're another worker. You go to the morning, you punch your clock, you do your, 
congressional work and then <laughs> go home at night. But, uh, but that's not something I've ever inspired to. I never really aspired to be in politics anyways, because my, my background is in construction. I spent uh, 30 years in the construction industry. And I got involved in the um, city of Royal Oak because I was not happy with the leadership we had at the time. I felt um, I'd been around the city long enough at that point and I knew what I wanted and I knew this direction I thought the city should go. So I'm gonna go out there and offer my ideas and, yeah. and see if I can't lead a city to something that is not only more satisfying to me, but the more satisfying to a lot of the people that I knew. And, and Fortunately, I was right, and, and uh, we, we had a good long run there. But, uh, yeah, you know, when you get into Congress, I mean, it, it's, it's, it is so overwrought with politics. I mean, we've even got politics at, at the state level. It's just, it's been a crummy week, and, and uh, we, uh, as a tradition, since we're in lame duck, tradition is that uh, the, uh, the outgoing members give their farewell speeches. And so they all get, you know, five to 10 minutes to stand up and thank this person and that person and reminisce and tell jokes and stories. But some people unfortunately use it as a time to bash the opposition. And so wow. we had a couple, we had a couple speeches yesterday that just, you know, save this for another conversation of public, don't, you know, tell, tell us how wrong we are on this and how wrong we are on that and how right they are. And, and it was an interesting one that really got me last night, the, the, the representative shall remain nameless. And, but um, it goes on and on and on about his anger with the governor for shutting down his church. Well, the governor didn't do that to begin with, but be that as it may, he ran with that. And then he proceeded to tell how important his religion and his church and everything was to him and his family, which I, I respect. I mean, it, it is. But then to start using it as a hammer about how the rest of us are like heathens because we don't subscribe to his philosophy of what his religion was. And I'm sitting in a room, you know, on, on, on the Democratic side, we've got, uh, we've got, we've got Jewish people, we've got Hindus, we've got uh, uh, Muslims, we've got, you know, we've got it all over on our side and they've got Christians over there. And it's just a total lack of respect for the audience you're talking to. And when they start using stuff like that as a, as a political weapon, it's, it's, a, it's a disgrace not only to them, but also to their religion. Because there's, you know, well, I talked to some of, some of my colleagues who heard that same speech and, and, and uh, they were not comfortable with it. Yeah, this fighting thing is, is becoming fighting with a capital F. I heard the previous Lieutenant Governor, I can't remember his full name, Brian maybe? Brian Kelly, yeah. Brian Kelly talked one time, in fact, it was a TED talk here in Detroit. And he talked about that euphemism fighting that they say in politics all the time. I will fight for you. I will fight for you. I will win this fight. And Brian looked at the audience. He said, I don't want you to fight at all. I want you to get along with people. I want you to be civil. They got a big uh, uh, applause break from the audience. Yeah, and, and that, really, that really was Brian's philosophy. Brian was never confrontational. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, his wife, Julie, is a Republican representative. She sits you see, so, man, it's the same thing. So, what's feeding the fighting? Uh, some would some would argue that the the current administration, the Trump administration, has further seeded this kind of brusque, uncivil, exclamation mark, all caps, um, um, combative type of nature. But I don't know. Maybe it's always been there, and he's just calling. He's just well, calling attention to it years ago I had this discussion with somebody um, about this and, and uh, saying you know Trump got so many votes and, and, and he you know he showed that he's popular I said well he got votes from people that really didn't vote before because those people never had anybody that spoke their language 
Yeah. And that's exactly what Trump delivered. He he came in and 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 said what these people wanted to say. And that was that was Trump's style and that was his way. And so he continues to do that even in, in the face of what's happened here, you know, the election. But he has got some, and, and I'll go back to our, our state legislature, our house again, and, and uh, there's some really, and I don't even want to call them ultra conservative representatives. They're, they're just right wingers. They're, they're, some of them are crazy right wingers, and um, uh, they will defend what their interpretation of the Constitution is to, to, to the end, end of time. And that's, a, that's admirable, but you don't have to, have to be nasty about it. You don't have to... No. Um, uh, imply that uh, you know anybody who doesn't believe them is is you know is less of a person. So, and these are the type of people that come up on the House floor. We've been fighting this pandemic now since uh, you know February March, and and these are the people that show up and they basically vote no on a lot of really common sense legislation. Uh, they won't wear their masks. They don't practice social distancing, and um, uh, they're just very disrespectful. To the people they work with and the frustrating part from us is their leadership lets them get away with it and uh you know it's almost like there's a fear of, of pushing back against the power which is those that have a tendency to be a little bit more right-wing and uh you know i i look at i've got some very very good republican colleagues that that, that don't like the fighting either they uh you know we, we try to get stuff done and if it wasn't for them we wouldn't get a lot of stuff done yeah, but uh, there is there is a the, the loud uh, loud faction that that uh, has to be combative against everything, and you know they don't like the governor. So I mean, last night they passed a resolution to take away power from the governor. I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, they want to reduce her emergency powers. And the really ironic part about that is they've offered nothing to replace it. They just yeah. take away her powers, and they don't tell us <laughs> what to do otherwise. The only actions they've really had. Is, is, is bills we've passed to extend what her emergency orders were to begin with. And so it's just, it, it's a political game. And, and we're in a situation right now in this state where you can't, you don't have the time for political games. Politics can be a fun game only if it's played politely and, 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 and decently. It, it just turns downright nasty when, when you start getting into the finger pointing and, and, you know, and it gets to the point that these people get riled up on the outside and they, you know, they plot they're going to kidnap our governor and kill her. And uh, they show up in, in our chambers, uh, uh, full battle regalia. They've got long rifles and they're standing in our, our, you know, we're trying to conduct business and we've got these guys with guns standing over us. And, and yeah. they're, they're entitled to be there because Michigan's an open carry state and, and, and those that are in charge of enforcing um, not bringing guns into the Capitol don't want to change it. So it it's, a, it's weird that we have a rule in the Capitol that you can't bring signs in. You can't bring picket sign into the Capitol. Oh, you can't? No, you can't because they're afraid you're going to scratch the walls. But you but can yeah, bring a gun. But you can bring a long rifle. You, you, can, bring, you, know, you can bring an AK-47 in and, and sit in the gallery and they're not going to stop you. And, and that's intimidating to those of us on the, on the Democratic side who have become the targets of a lot of this stuff. So to be fair, I'm, I'm not going to suggest there are Democrats who out-Trump Trump because I do think he's kind of he's invented his own stripe for this thing. But to be fair, isn't there a, a faction of the Democratic side that's also prone to violence, uh, eager to take up arms, if not literally, then figuratively? You, you're going to have that. Yeah, we've got we've got some some very um, uh, far left people with, with far left radical ideas. 
and uh, you know everything about the current government is bad, and and uh, you know they they want to they want to they want this and they want that and they want to fight for it, and you know then just like the Republicans with the right wingers, we've got our left wingers, and and yeah. uh, you know we're not all happy with them. Yeah. And the, the vast majority of people are those of us, the more, and I, and I, I hate putting titles, but we're the more moderate takers. I mean, we can, we can go, you know, I've, I've certainly have my left leaning uh, uh, desires of things I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, pro, pro whatever us, but we, uh, and they have theirs, but we've got to be able to debate all those issues on a, on a level that's going to get someplace. And we just scream at each other and then yeah. not going to get anywhere. I think it, the, the pandemic has provided a really interesting example of what happens when, when, when you get up every day looking for the fight and forget about things that may be more important than the actual fight. The, the pandemic is, is an equal opportunity offender. It, it's yeah, it's mean, not, it does, there's no politics in a virus. No, and yet it's yeah, become it, a political it, it, thing. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I've been telling people it's what, it's been so interesting to see what happens when, when public health policy bumps up against private health practice. That mm-hmm. you don't have to listen to anybody if you don't want to. And and by the way, in the absence of any policy, like a mandate, a mask mandate, for example, then everybody is free to decide on their own. And what was really interesting about this was a lot of people chose to follow people who maybe didn't have any medical experience, they just happened to be in charge. And that became that became the official order of the day, don't wear your mask. It, it's been fascinating to watch it play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, we were very far into this pandemic back in uh, February, March, where we, we lost one of our state representatives. Yeah. Representative Isaac Robinson developed COVID-19 and he passed away and it, it just like, like suddenly. And then, and we're dealing with the same thing right now with, with, with the passing of, of, of Sheriff Benny Napoleon, who was just, you know, a wonderful guy. I'm sure you probably ran across Benny sometime in your life, but he was just, a, just an amazing man and he's gone. And, and, and people were losing these people right and left. I don't know if anybody who hasn't had a family member, me, knock on wood, I haven't anybody close, but I've had a lot of friends that, that have passed. But, um, uh, and still we get resistance back. There's some people on, on, on the other side of the aisle and, and outside the building that are more concerned about our constitutional rights, which I support absolutely. We do have constitutional rights, but where do your constitutional rights end and our rights to be healthy begin? And, yeah. and all we really ask people to do is to, you know, wear a mask. It's simple. Wear a mask and stand six feet away. And, and if you can do that, if everybody had done that from the beginning, we'd be in far better shape than, yeah. than we are. But again, those people say, well, that's not true because you can't prove it. Well, we can't prove it because we didn't do it. Well, and to be <laughs> fair, there was some confusion at the beginning. You know, there was some information out about whether or not masks were useful or helpful. There was well, six feet versus 10 feet. And I, and there, you know, there were just people waiting to catch was, you. This is, yeah, this was a, this was a pandemic that caught everybody off guard. I mean, well, none of us have been Governor, Governor Whitmer was not planning on a pandemic and she had trial by fire and she was the one sitting in the hot seat and she's the one that, that was expected to make decisions. And, and, and in the early process of this, where not, Many people knew exactly what was going on. She brought in all the best help she could find, and even even the professionals didn't have the answers. You know, the, 
What does the mask do? Does the mask save you, the person wearing the mask, or does the mask save the person that's not you because you're not spreading disease? And, and the answer is, is both, really. But, but for a while, it went that, you know, you're wearing a mask, you're protecting the other person. And there was a time when we thought much of the virus transmission was surface to surface. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you now it comes out. It's airborne. The more you get into it, the more you investigate what's causing it. And now we have a a, a vaccine, and you know, and, and, and wouldn't be surprised that somewhere, you know, a few weeks, months down the line, we're going to find out there's a problem with the vaccine, and so we're going to start all over again. You know, I hope not, but but that's the stuff when you're dealing with a, with a, an epidemic like this where it's it's new. And you've got all the best, best scientists in the world studying it. And then you've got someone at the top of the ladder saying, no, these guys are all liars and it's fake. It's going to go away in 10 days and only one person is going to die. And those people that put their trust in that individual are going to believe them. And they're going to say that everybody else is lying for political reasons or whatever. When I was in high school, I learned a term called centrism. It has many applications. Uh, there's geocentrism, where you live is the center of the universe ethnocentrism, your ethnicity is the center of everything, and egocentrism, in that case, I am the center of the universe. Um, what, happens when, um, what happens when everybody decides that, that they're gonna take charge of their own area? And in fact, that's what's kind of happened with the 50 states. Ohio isn't working with Michigan. I mean, maybe Governor Whitmer has some partners in, uh, you know, in the different states but essentially the states, because they're sovereign, if I have this right, have been asked to figure this out by themselves or on their own. Is that what's happening? Because there is no national well, policy. Yeah, I mean, there's, that, that's happened. Um, I don't think it should have happened. I think there should have been a national coordinated effort on all this, but uh, it, uh, you know, the, the, the ball was, was punted. And so the, um, uh, the states all have to pick up and, 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 and Every state is different. So, I mean, there's, there's an advantage to creating your own guidelines to fit the needs of your particular state. But there's also an advantage to having some central coordinated um, effort so that everybody is, is getting the same information at the same time and not having to, to you know, reinvent the wheel every time they get something. So, Plus again, in were... all fairness, this generation has never had to deal with this type of, of uh of, of health crisis. Yeah. And it, it's embarrassing that the United States is, is one of the worst in the world. I mean, you look at it at, at uh, Asian company, uh, countries in Japan and, and they were ready. They've been through this before. They understand it. And, and so they the protocols were ready. And, and in our country, that when all that was happening with the Obama, Obama I'm getting Obama and Obama confused. The Ebola breakout, where Obama had set up a, a task force to, to deal with with pandemics like this, and, and Trump got into office and he dismantled it. Yeah, he needed. And so, would that have made any difference? I it would have made some, but would have. Been, well, how we much? You know, the states were bidding against each other on PPE. Oh yeah, and yeah. Now we have to somehow share a certain inventory yeah, of vaccines. Uh, right? The word comes out that the, you know the federal government had had PPE supplies that they're holding and states wanted them. And the answer from the White House was, this is ours. Right. What are you protecting? You know, you're protecting all of us. So yours is ours, but, but uh, it's, it's crazy, crazy things. And, and I think, you know, I think we can all look down as, as year 2020 is, as the time when 
there's a lot of awakening going up and a lot of uh, reinterpretation of what's happening in the world and what's important. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, you know, we're, as we come out of this, we're going it, to, it, it's going to be a brave new world. Things are going to be different. Uh, it's going to be a new normal and we've all got to live, learn how to live within a new normal. And I hope out of that philosophy that it's going to be, we get along better. We understand that we all have common goals. Yeah. How you achieve it's good them. to focus on what we have in common instead of what our differences. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I think that's a good start. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could we we as a as a political group can, can debate the value of guns and the Second Amendment and all that, and and, and we do, but it's never gonna it's never gonna change. I mean, I'm a Democrat. I, I I don't want to take anybody's guns away. I don't care what they say. You know, you're entitled to your guns. Second Amendment says you can have guns, and I've got a lot of very uh, well behaved people that own guns and I wouldn't take anything away, but, but it's, it's that portion, it's the availability of some unstable person to get their hands on that weapon. That's what we need to get our hand, our, our heads around and our, you know, arms around and, and, and how do we control that? I don't want to do it by taking your guns. What I want you to do is you as a, as a, as a qualified gun owner, smart gun owner, work with us and tell us what we can do to make it safer for all of us. Yeah, I always thought gun control was a terrible name because if, if I don't happen to own a gun, but if I did, I wouldn't want anybody else controlling it. No, should have started no. with some basic common, you know, common denominator premise like management. We, we don't want our children getting shot up in their own school. Can yeah, we start I, with I, that premise? Yeah, I, I, I didn't like using the word control either. I want management. Management is kind of a shared responsibility. Uh, uh, Jim, could you repeat what you just said? Oh, uh, management. Let's call it, let's call it uh, gun, gun management. management. Yeah. <laughs> gun management, and we're all participants, and we can all manage our own guns. But you know, you don't want to turn control of your guns over to someone else. It's right. always been a bad word. Right. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like that phrase popular now: defund the police, which has been another terrible name. Misappropriated. But uh, yeah, uh, that's let's go back to ego for a second. Uh, Politicians that get into office, especially people that are running for the first time, make all kinds of promises. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, ego or naivete, but even when people run for the president of the United States, they, when I get in there, I'm going to change this and I'm going to change this. But no one person has the ability to do that. That's just, that's optics in the campaign just to curry favor with the voters, right? Yeah, when I I first started in politics and what are you going to promise us? I said, I'm going to promise you that I'm going to do the best I can for whatever the problem is. But I, you know, and that's the only promise I can make because that's the only control I've got is over myself. And the end, I'll, I'll promise you that I'll you. You know, work with you and tell you the truth. But I'm not going to promise that I'll make you, I'm going to lower your taxes or I'm not going to do this. And Because you don't have singular power. You don't have that to, to, to do. You can't make those promises. But why do we fall for that every every damn time? Like, oh, it works. Do this. It, 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 because Michael, it works. People out there will listen to him. He promised us health care and he promised us this. Yeah. He promised us a wall that the Mexicans were going to pay for. But, you know, it's ridiculous, but it sounded good to those that thought that was an answer to their problems. Yeah. And, and now he is, you know, good. Obviously, Mexico didn't pay for the wall. They were never going to pay for the wall. The wall is partially completed, never going to be completed, and it's unnecessary anyways. But but he was playing into what people wanted to hear. And he's, from that perspective, he's a very, very smart politician. Because all it was was getting the votes that you can get in and then do what you feel you want to do or need to do. 
I thought the only thing more ridiculous than having Mexico pay for the for the border wall would have have Canada pay for the Mexican wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about special interests um, and special interest money and lobbyists and the, a lot of people like to like to frame this as something that's totally unnecessary and and uh, and it's evil and it, there's just no nothing that good can come from it. I want to tell you something that I read recently and check it with you just to we can use that as kind of a springboard for a conversation if it's okay with you. Here's how it was explained to me. That politicians like yourself that get into office come from say construction or some some occupation that they had and since they're responsible for reading and processing a lot of potential legislation, they can't possibly be an expert in all things. So they hire a team of staffers, often interns, other people on the team, to learn about the issues and then provide a digested version to the politician. Well, the only way that these staffers can learn about this is to have experts come in. Those experts are called lobbyists. Lobbyists, of course, um, have agendas, and then and and then that information is eventually curried over to the politician who makes a vote based on whatever. But that's why we need lobbyists because they are the only ones who actually know what's going on with these products and services and bills. Is that is that a basic? You're, you're absolutely right, and 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 the age of term limits. It's more important than ever because that's where the institutional knowledge is. Because yeah. there's there's bills that we always we're always dealing with the same problems and just unique ways of doing it. You know how much how many uh, dollars in taxes are we going to pay and, and what are we going to do about this and that? And it's the lobbyists that have the information. And lobbyists are valuable, so are so valuable to the process. And we we go to them for advice. And, and they're not crooks. They're not buying us off. They're there are people trying to do a job. They're representing their clients, wherever their clients may be, and looking in the best interest. And, and there's usually lobbyists on both sides of an issue, so you hear from both of them. And, and uh, it, they're, they're, they're vital to the process. I mean, if you want to get rid of lobbyists, get rid of term limits, because that way you can get a, 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 an elected representative that could be there long enough to learn how to do it. And you mentioned staff. I mean, it's, it's, it's very vital for me when I, when I went in um, I, I wanted to keep the staffer in my office that had, work, had been working it for my my uh, my predecessor, because he knew the district, he knew the problems in the district, and and I, I was fortunately able to, to keep him and brought on somebody he recommended to handle other aspects of it. And as we got through the first term, he moved on to another uh, colleague of his, and uh, and and I had to, and I moved my staff up. But but we're all learning. But the staff is very important because they know the intricacies of how the process works within yeah. the process of the government, not necessarily issues, but how, how, to, how to get things done. And then, you know, the, the elected official comes in and two years getting to understand, you know, first you got to find out where the coffee is and, and where the bathrooms are. And, and then the second two years is you, you, the knowledge you acquire the first two years, you, you start spreading it out so it makes sense. And by the time you hit your third term, you're rocking and rolling and then you're done. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, you, you can't go back. And so we've got some very, very qualified legislators right now that are being forced out by term limits, and it's unfortunate. So now that we understand how the information flows, let me ask a, a more direct question. Is, is special interest money a problem? I don't even know what I mean by the question, in politics? 
Um, yes, I'm going to call it and say yes. It, it is a problem because it's a problem because that special interest money will usually find its way to the politician that's going to answer to it. And if that politician has enough influence, then they're going to control um, the issue. Um, I'm dealing with a, with a personal situation, which is very upsetting to me. I, I sponsored a bill here uh, beginning of my second term. It's a bill that would have banned, um, a, a ban, it would ban breed-specific legislation. In other words, a community could not put a pit bull ban just based on the breed. And it's something we've been trying to do for years. It, it, gets, it gets support. And so, you know, I brought it up this year and based on my, my experience with animals and my wife's position as the animal shelter uh, manager. Um, and and I, I worked on this bill for two years and I got it passed through the house with a large majority. Um, and I got it put into the Senate uh, where it passed the Senate uh, local government committee unanimously. And then it got to the um, leader of the Senate, uh, majority, majority Senate leader it's his decision of whether to put it up for a vote. He decided he didn't like it. So this one person, for whatever reason, personal persuasion, money, I don't know, refused to put my bill on the floor. So it died. Hmm. Assuming it died, they're still going on. I don't think they're going to, today would have been the last day to vote and I haven't heard anything. But, but we have a bunch of people spending a lot of time guarding up support for a bill that the vast majority of the public wants. Well, you need to throw some special interest money at this guy. That's so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, 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 it's hard to, there's any number of reasons and we can make up all kinds of stories, all of it based on our assumptions of, of what happened, but, but he didn't like the bill. And so he wasn't going to put it on in spite of the fact that I had a number of people over on the Republican side of the Senate that was, that was working for me, not working for me, but working for the bill. And uh, it still wasn't enough to persuade him to put up for a vote. So, because if it had been voted on, it would have passed. Yeah, and, and we would have been dealing with this with this new law that would have made a tremendous number of, of dog owners extremely happy. But because this one person, because of the position he's in, had the ability to kill it, and so here we are. So I, I go back next January, and I can start the process over again. Well, I wish so. you luck. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and that's kind of what happens in the U. We talked earlier about, uh, uh, you know, where do people, certain people get power that yeah. they probably shouldn't have. Yeah. And um, it's just, you know, you, you learn how to deal with it and you learn, you learn what, what issues to push, what issues to, uh, to not push. I mean, a lot of us will put bills out there just to bring attention to the bill. I've, I've floated for the last two years a graduated income tax bill. We'll change how we income tax and state it's not going to go anywhere because there's there's not enough support for it but you still you put it out there yeah because you know there may be someone that'll grab it and, and help us with it and yeah. uh, then you know that's kind of what we do but then we do get our we do get our bills we're really uh, adamant for and then this anti-bsl bill was one that i fought i worked closely with uh, ron kagan at detroit zoo and we've got i've got a bill out there that would prohibit um ownership of a, a non-human primate and another bill out there about ownership of, of uh, uh, reptiles and stuff. So, you know, it comes from my desire to, uh, to keep animals safe, keep communities safe. And, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's got to get support, got to get the votes to, to, to get them passed. My new favorite word is intractable, seemingly unsolvable. Is the Democrat-Republican tussle unsolvable? 
are we ever going to get to a place where we're not blaming the other guy and and we have some mm-hmm. common ground and we- and, and it's, it's tough it depends on you know depends on who we elect. I mean, if you continue electing people who are adamant that their way is the only way, then you're never going to solve it. And we've got those on both sides of the aisle. I mean, you get some pragmatic people that that believe that their their job is to make life better for the people that live in this country. Yeah. And they're going to learn that they have to cooperate with each other because the positions of both the Democrats and the Republicans are, are valid positions. And look, when you're when you've got the negativity out there, the pushback all the time, you're not going to listen to the other guy because he's yeah. just fucking crap, you know. And, and but if we've got uh, you know pragmatists that can go there and, and let's let's get some discussions done, and I've I've done that. I've got some colleagues on the on the Republican side of the aisle that that we do have a good relationship, and and uh, you know we do consider each other friends, and we can talk about about issues that need to get done, and we can get some done. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with how the two-party system got started as we wrap up. Um, the story I heard was that George Washington was dying. They, uh, they couldn't save him. They had let his blood a couple times. That was their big thing back then, let his blood. Blood, yeah, blood, blood, blood on him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there are all these, all the people are around him and they, for his famous last words from the famous man. And he goes like this, you know, and somebody leans in and he goes, he says, whatever you do, because he was the first president, he says, yeah. whatever you do, don't have a two-party system. <laughs> and then before his body was called, Adams and Jefferson were going at it. And it's been that way ever since. Yep. And that's the way it probably will be. I mean, there's certainly validity in having two sides of an issue. The question is, there's validity in having three sides of an issue or four sides. And, you know, and, and we've got other parties out there, the minor parties, we call them, but then, you know, the libertarians are out there and the Green Party, and they all have very valid ideas. But the, the two Republicans and Democrats, they have a tendency not to listen to them. And, yeah. and um, you know, there, there's, it, it's a big arena. And there's a lot of room in this arena. The, the goal is to get ideas. I mean, you may have some good, good my, my son's a libertarian, and, and he gets some good ideas that that will come out that we can integrate into, into a system and make it make it valid. But uh, yeah, well, uh, it, it takes it takes ability to have discussions and talk to each other. I've certainly enjoyed our discussion tonight. I'm so proud of you, um, hometown mayor. Done good, man. You're such such an impressive person, and I, I I've just always been so impressed with how reasonable you are on issues. I just wish everybody was like this. Yeah, but wouldn't the life life be boring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all need a little bit of excitement, and uh, yeah, I I I, uh, I I like the ability. To, I like my ability to be calm and rational uh, most of the time, but I also like my ability to fly off the handle when you need to. And I yeah. really surprise a lot of people sometimes when I when I blow yeah. a fuse. You bet. Listen, happy holidays to you, Jody, and the family. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today, and. When this all dries up, let's get together for a, a beverage, okay? We should. We should. Yeah, let's give our best to day. You guys have a good holiday and uh, enjoy our our meetings. I still remember our first meeting where we happened to bump into each other and uh, right across from the from the pimp. Yeah, it's uh, many years ago. You've been a friend ever since, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. We'll see you soon. Take it easy, man. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.